happen Something good is in store Just praising the Lord So take up your cross And follow Jesus Just take up your cross Every day Don't be ashamed Just say that you know Him Count up the cost Take up your cross And follow Him Now take up your cross And follow Jesus Oh, take up your cross Every day Just say that you know Him Just count up the cost And take up your cross And follow Him One more time Just take up your cross And follow Jesus Just take up your cross Every day Take up your cross Don't be ashamed Oh now don't be ashamed To say that you know Him Just count up the cost And take up your cross And follow Him Amen Sing the song, we'll give the glory. We'll give the glory to Jesus and tell of His love and tell of His love. We'll give the glory So 
would just continue to play that softly. We just want to welcome you to the house of the Lord this evening. Uh, we have a couple of prayer requests, and uh, if I could have Brother Jaron come up and pray for these. Um, I'll have you remain standing because it's just a couple. We just want to remember the males who are down in Florida. And let's remember the Pritchard's grandson, uh, Corwin Hendershot, I think. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, we just want to remember him. Uh, he has a broken elbow. Uh, let us remember, too, uh, a mom, Sister Sarah. She is at home sick this evening. And I also have an unspoken uh, prayer request for Sister Karen Buchanan, my uh, aunt. And uh, that is all the requests I have. Uh, any unspoken prayer requests by lifting of your hands? Amen. Let's just take these needs to the Lord. Amen. This evening, if you have a need on your heart, just hold that as we pray. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, as we approach your throne tonight, Lord, we ask forgiveness now of anything that's contrary, Father, in our spirit, in our life, Lord. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just come near to us, Lord, as we cry out to you through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we lift up these special needs before you, Lord. And Father, I pray for the sick and afflicted, Father, that have reached out to you, Lord, these special needs I have written down, Father. I lay my hands upon them, each and every one. Lord, we just pray that you would intercede on those that are crying out to you, Lord. Father, we just commit them into your hands, Lord Jesus. Father, we know that you are our healer. Lord, we just we claim the promises that are in your word, Lord, for our lives. And Lord, we just claim the healings, Father. Lord, we know that it was done even before the foundation of the world, Lord. Father, we commit them into your hands for care, Lord. Father, trusting and knowing that you will meet their needs, Father. Lord, we pray for uh, the remainder of this service, God, that you will just open our hearts, Lord, that you will, Lord, just anoint us, Father, with your, your word, Lord. I pray that it would just be real, Lord, it would be in season to each and every desire, Lord. Lord, you know what we have need of, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to me, Lord. I pray that you would just open open my eyes and my ears, Lord, that I could receive what's for me, Lord, and every individual under the sound of my voice, Lord. If, Lord, there are those that are streaming at this time, God. I pray your Holy Spirit would just go even to those people, Lord, that you would just minister, Lord, what they have need of, Lord. Lord, we just look forward with great anticipation to what you have for us. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I don't have any specials this evening, so I figured I would sing one real quick, if that's all right. Um, that, uh, with that being said, that means those of you who do sing, we still need specials on Wednesday night. So, uh, Gee. Now the musicians don't know this. I kind of sprung it on them. So just pray for us and bear with us. I was born in the riverbed. Got my mama's eyes and my daddy's hands. 
chained me to a troubled start, gave me wandering feet and a restless heart. The only thing I knew was lost until I met the rugged cross. That's when Jesus reconciled, and the prodigal became a child. Amazing grace, what love divine! Out of the trash, you've called. 
peace of God. We're going to try a new one here. As Brother Barry comes, he had asked us to learn it. So we'll just sing the chorus right now in a couple of the verses uh, until we learn the rest of it. Peace of God cover me Cover me 
Let's sing that song, Majesty, as Brother Barry comes. Oh, Majesty. like an oasis, just a a place where we can come to be refreshed in the middle of a busy week. Lord, whenever your people gather, whenever your word is ministered, you always have something good to say. So Lord, we pray tonight that you would just come on the scene, Lord, and look first at the sacrifice of Calvary's cross and then look at us, Lord. Father, we stand as a needy people tonight and need of your touch, need of your healing virtue, and need of your teaching. And Father, we just pray now you take complete control of this service, Lord, for your glory. We thank you for everyone who is here, and we thank you, Lord, for a message that has come in this last day. Thank you, Lord, for being saved and knowing it and being confident of it, Lord. We, we are just honored, Lord, to be called to your table tonight. Have your way, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And amen. Let's take our Bibles while you're standing tonight. We'll look in the Word before you're seated tonight. God bless you. Good to have all of you here uh, tonight. We're still missing several folks that are uh, out and about, but we are glad that you are all here um, tonight. Let's just take a reading in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15 as we begin tonight. We're going to look in several scriptures here. Proverbs 
Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. Good to have each and every one of you here tonight, and we are honored to have uh, Brother Matt, family, Brother Nathan, God bless you and your family, Sister Tawari, an honor to have you with us tonight. And uh, these are folks that are long friends, and I don't know all the names, but I can tell there's a strong set of genes there, and uh, I know whose family they're a part of, that's for sure. Great to have you with us. They're down sojourning in the area this week, and uh, contacted me on Monday, and uh, glad to have him with us tonight. So uh, we are glad to have all of you here today as well, and uh, all of you that were away last weekend, and may the Lord bless you. We appreciate you being here today. We have a full weekend that's coming up. We have our young people's meeting at 5 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, for everybody, uh, I think you know who you are by now, and everyone except Joe. And uh, we have a couple of baptisms that we're going to have on Sunday. Uh, Sunday afternoon. So if you're considering that as well, you might want to keep that in mind. We also want to give a special mention tonight to Sister Sabrina's parents who are celebrating their 43rd wedding anniversary, right? 43 years. And that's James and Patricia O'Berry. And uh, they're frequent streamers. And uh, we wish them a happy anniversary tonight. We... um, We've been dealing with this uh, <clears throat> subject here over the last little while, so I'm just kind of gonna, I'm just going to jump in here uh, this evening and uh, do number seven, and uh, we'll just see how far the Lord takes us here tonight. There's just, uh, this is just one of those things where there's uh, all kinds of things that keep coming up and keep coming out, and uh, thought tonight as I was praying about the service and thought about what I could say that would be edifying to all of you that. Uh, have come and interrupted your week uh, in order to be here tonight. I thought uh, we would just tackle this subject here tonight of uh, dealing with what the Bible says about discipline. And uh, uh, there's, a, um, there's a number of things here that uh, are self-evident for us and things that we've covered before, but there's some uh, aspects of this that we just want to touch on before we move on to some other things here. So uh, these things are... Uh, timely for us. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we've read, just let me give you a couple of screens of review here as we, uh, as we look at this this evening. Peter writes, he said, likewise, ye younger men, ye of lesser rank and experience. This is the amplified version, all right, that I'm reading from. You younger men, be subject to your elders and seek their counsel, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, or literally tie on the servant's apron. For God is opposed to the proud, the disdainful, and he defeats them, but he gives grace to the humble. How many believe that that's true? The idea of of adopting a servant's heart and a servant's attitude is, is really an important thing when it comes to how things should be in our home. Uh, I want to deal with the uh, with uh, two definitions of marriage, and we're, we're not going to get to it here tonight, I don't think. But it's it's quite profound, actually, how the definition of marriage has actually changed over over uh, you know the last 
the last hundred years and how people always uh, assume marriage was, what it, what it actually meant, and then what it's become. And uh, it's really important, and I've, I've mentioned this and said this in lots of different ways, that it's important for us never to take our cues from the direction the world is taking. The world's on a, it's, it's on a course. It's, on a, it, it's moving in a certain direction, moving at a certain speed. And it's moving into something that we don't want to move into ourselves. So God has interrupted that in our lives, right? God has said, you're not destined for that, you're destined for this. And so, therefore, our definition of things and our understanding of things is different from the world, which makes us increasingly stand out as unusual. It's, it's, it's really disheartening to see the amount of compromise that's going on uh, in uh, not only in uh, Christian churches, uh, denominational churches, but also even in uh, movements like homeschool movements now and uh, other organizations, adoption agencies that were profoundly and distinctly Christian and are now adapting their standards or moving the standards away from biblical standards to a, uh, you know, uh, a tolerance stan- standard, a, a tolerance um, uh, approach where, you know, they're, they're willing to embrace all kinds of things. And as a result of that, they find themselves out on a limb where, uh, you know, they've opened themselves up to homosexual uh, partnerships and all the, other, all the other things that go with that. Once you open the Pandora's box, nothing ever goes back in the box, right? Once, once the devil gets a foot in, uh, he never takes it out. And so, therefore, it's really important for us to make sure that we, uh, we understand the standard, we understand what God requires of us, and then we, in, we in, enforce that or we embrace that and practice that within our home. Right? Because no one else is going to do it for you. And our world is quickly moving away from the standards that uh, we hold uh, sacred and we hold dear, quickly moving away from it, and even making laws to enforce the right for sinful practices to occur. Protecting those sinful practices by law. And yet, uh, I, I believe that God has a better way than the way that the world sees it. And I believe that it is our responsibility to teach it, and all of our responsibility to practice it, right? And, and so, therefore, the only way really to have peace in your home and peace in your heart and peace in your life is, is to follow God's way. And that's why, to me, Peter's uh, scripture here, the scripture that uh, is described here, is one that is really important, not just for younger men. But, to me, Christian families are characterized by a spirit of humility and surrender to the purpose of God. Right? Okay. Now, we, we've shown this, script, this uh, screen here several times as a theme. Remember, Brother Branham says you're living for God and you have one objective, and that's Christ. He said outside of that, really nothing else counts. That's him. Secondly, for your family, and then thirdly, for yourself. And that's the priority uh, that Brother Branham describes. Now, we talked about uh, this scripture verse, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat of the labor of thine hands, and happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. The, the, the scripture talks of a man here uh, who is, is one who practices from, uh, from an early age. And we went through this a little bit last, last week. From an early age, he practices this walk uh, of the fear of the Lord and has the fear of the Lord in his heart, which is a respect for God's word. Everybody in his family is affected by that. 
His wife becomes like a fruitful vine by the side of the house, and the children grow uh, like olive plants around thy table. As I said before, olive plants grow very slowly. They require a lot of care. Uh, they grow in rocky soil. Therefore, they need to be tended and cultivated roughly for about 15 or 16 years. That's how long you need to nurture an olive plant until it begins to produce. But when it produces, it'll produce about 40 years plus good fruit if it's nurtured right. And that's why I believe the, the, uh, the word picture is given by David that uh, young men, he said, they will be uh, like plants around thy table. We nurture them for a season, but after a while they move out on their own, they become married, have their own families, and they begin to produce another uh, generation up the road. But it requires nurturing. It requires hands-on. And God's given you children... God's given you parents, children, and God's given you grandparents, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren to influence towards the kingdom of God so that this can happen in a household. Right? This is the ideal. This is what God wants to have happen in, in a household. That his, the wife would be like a fruitful vine. Remember what vines do. They cling, they grow, they cluster. Right? That's what vines do. They cling, they grow, and they cluster. They cling, they climb, they cluster. That's the phrase that we used here. And behold, thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. Thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. And yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. Zion is where God hangs out with these people. Zion is the place of God where God hangs out with these people. And this is the idea that, uh, that David is conveying there that uh, when a man puts God first and attends, uh, if you like, we put it this way, if he attends uh, synagogue, if he attends church, he brings, he brings his family into that place, then he is, uh, he is in a position to be blessed in Zion. Let me tell you, when you bring your family to church, when a man urges his family to go to church, some of you work from early hours this morning and travel the distance to come here and be here. But when you come to church and bring your family, you're hanging around in Zion. And Zion is where God hangs out with these people. That's where God likes to meet with these people, right? If you don't mind, take your Bible. This is not, not there, but just go to Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We'll do this one manually. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's see if we can find it here. Verse 22, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Paul is talking about a man who, uh, in, his, in his training and in his upbringing, uh, the believer today doesn't come to a literal mountain like Mount Sinai, but he gathers in the place where God meets his people. He gathers into the, into the place where the presence of God is known to be. Right? That's why we come here. Because we crave to be in the presence of God. And being in the presence of God is a place where the seed of God can become ripened. 
You can mature in the presence of God. You can come to fruition in the presence of God. And this is what Mount Zion is all about. And David is using that phrase back here in Psalm 28. And Paul takes the same idea over in Hebrews chapter 12. He said, well, the Lord will bless thee out of Zion. Hey, listen, I, I guess it's this way. That when a man makes, when a man makes uh, the, the Lord and, and, and church and uh, spiritual things a priority in his life, he has to work. We all have to work. We have to educate. We have to shop. We have to do all the things necessary for life. But our priority, our top priority, our passion really is uh, for the things of God and to gather with the people of God, right? Not all perfect, but we all gather together and uh, that's a, a passion that we have. If I, if I knew, if I knew that the key to success in my home was to be in the presence of God, I'd be doing everything I could to bring my family to church. If I knew that, that I was going to get help in order to have wisdom and patience and strength in order to lead a family and I could get that in the presence of God, I'd want to be there myself. But I knew that if I, if I could get understanding, if I could get insight and I could get knowledge about how to raise a godly family in a very dirty world today, let me tell you, I'd be bringing my family to church so that they get something that they could use in, in, the, in the journey of life that we find ourselves. We're living in the end time when all of it, Brother Bram talks about a wave of sin that comes over the world. And he said, you haven't seen anything yet. Back in the 50s and 60s, he said, you haven't seen anything yet. And I think we're beginning to see what he was talking about. So therefore, a family, Christian family, looks like this biblically. It is, uh, it is structured with everyone under headship and children obeying the, their parents and the Lord, for this is well-pleasing. And all the church said, amen. amen. Everybody says amen on that one. All right. We talked about, and I'm just reviewing here for a purpose because I'm going to visit one of these. Seven principles of biblical families. Seven principles of biblical families. And these are the things that we talked about uh, over the last little bit, and especially the last Wednesday night. That marriage is for one man and for one woman. And everybody agrees? And all of these that are listed here. Families need to have a multi-generational vision is the last one. And we ended on that last week. That when you think about a father... Or when you think about a pastor, if I died, God forbid, but if I died, and I know some of you don't like me to say that, but you know, time has a way of making certain things happen. It brings your birthday around, right, every year, and all the other things that happen as a result of time passing. But let's just say, for instance, let's just say, just for argument's sake here, if I died, and, and somebody... Somebody was to take over. Somebody was to take over the church and move it on. It should not be a restructuring of the church after I'm gone, but rather it should be somebody who takes off where I left off. In other words, my, my ceiling is somebody else's floor. That's the way it should be. My ceiling, as high as I can go, the highest point that I can go, should be somebody else's platform to take off after that. I believe that in a family, a father's ceiling becomes his son's floor. So as far as I can take my family, I would want to do that to take them in the right direction. And when my sons leave the house after the, uh, after the nurturing of the olive tree and they go out and they build their own house and they establish their own household, they should be able to take off with the principles that they've learned or where I've brought them to, then they should be able to take off after that. 
They don't need to go and learn Christian principles if they've been raised in them. They don't need to make themselves aware of what God said if they've heard it all their life. They don't need to see a godly marriage. They don't need to go and investigate what's a godly marriage if they've seen a godly marriage all their lives. So as far as I can take them becomes a ceiling for them in which to, be, to use as a platform so they can go on and raise their families as well. So in, in the same way that Solomon took the principles that David taught and applied them in his own household, then also my sons would take the principles that I taught and lived and use them as the basis for establishing their house for God as well. Right? Now, they're married to a woman, and therefore that woman's going to change the house, so it's going to have different decorations for sure, right? Going to have different color schemes. Going to have, because every woman likes uh, to do their house one way, and then next week they like it another way. And then another week later they like it. I probably shouldn't say that or get into that, but that's the idea, that families need to have a multi-generational vision. They need to have a sense that uh, it doesn't end with me. It, doesn't, it never began with me, and it doesn't end with me. Therefore, I should be preparing for my children to step off the platform of life with me in order to establish their own household without having to go learn things that they already should have seen. Does that make sense? I think that's a very important thing, and I think that's a biblical principle that God would have us to know. So, when it comes to marriage, the key scripture and the, the, the way that uh, it's structured in the book of Genesis here, and I've got to remember, in the book of Genesis, things were very pure. There was, the world here was not tainted by sin. So this is the pure thoughts of God. This is the pure plan of God. And as we look at it, and the Lord took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So the first thing that God had man to practice was uh, to labor and to... Learn a sense of guardianship, to be a protector. And I said, I, I believe I've said in, many, in, in some different instances before that, girls, if you're looking for a husband, you should be looking for a guy who's not afraid to work and a guy who's willing to stand in the forefront of his family to protect and defend them. To be strong enough to say, we're not going to bring this into this house. We're not going to participate in this or that. But this man, he guards, he guards the entrance to that family because he has a scriptural right to do that. And in the same way that God set man in the Garden of Eden to do that, he was to labor and he was also to keep the garden or to guard it. And then the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. God established boundaries. And God said, I want you to work and live and I want you to guard this garden and do it within the boundaries that I set down. So God gives boundaries. Do you believe that? But he gives boundaries for our protection. He doesn't give boundaries uh, to take away the joy out of our life. He gives boundaries so that we can stay within it so God does not have to judge people who live within these boundaries. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is another boundary. Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest it, it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, as a result of all of this now, and all of this being done, then God said, the man should not be alone, I'll make a helpmate for him. There's a lot of young people who feel like that marriage and intimacy have to come first, and then I'll get a job, and then I'll learn how to, uh, you know, be a man. Let me tell you, there are very few models today to learn how to be a man from. I said there are very few models today, very few visions of manhood. And when men don't have a good vision of manhood, they'll get older chronologically, but they'll fall back into childish activities. That's why you'll find that some people will 
take their stimulus payment or take unemployment. They'll stay home and play video games because they've never really learned when it's time to grow up. All the women said, I believe it's a good thing for a man to learn, and this is what God's purpose was for Adam there, that he would learn God's work, that he would learn God's will, and he would find eventually God's woman. That was the intent that God had, that there is a will, God's will, and there's a work that God has for us, God's will, God's work, and eventually find God's woman. And so when a young man gets tracked and he can... Uh, you know, he can find a direction, he can find a place where he can enjoy the presence of God. It's out of that place that a man can really uh, invite another woman to come and establish that family on the principles that God ordained. Now, remember now, when this took place, it was in the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden is a fabulous word. It's, a, uh, it's, it's a, more, of a, more of a description of an atmosphere than a description of a physical place. It is a spot. But it is also a presence. It's like an open door. It is a place where God delighted to create for himself and his family. And when you put those meanings together, and this is the depth of the word uh, Eden there, it means it's a spot on earth where the presence of God had an open door. And it was a delightful place to him to come and spend time with Adam. And in that place of Eden, that's where Adam brought his wife, Eve, and they could enjoy the presence of God together. Girls, if you're looking for a young man to marry, you look for a man who has a passion for the presence of God. And, and if that man, uh, you know, if that relationship develops and he can invite you into that presence of God, in other words, into that relationship that he has with God, into that place that he has with God, uh, let me tell you, that family is off to a good start. How many can say amen? But if that guy, uh, you know, has no sense of work, he has no sense of guardianship, he has no sense of responsibility, uh, he has no sense of a relationship with God, you probably ought to put that guy on the shelf. Even if he's handsome, you probably should put that guy on the shelf until he finds a passion for the presence of God. Is that all right? Okay. I'm going to move on anyway. Now... Let me just uh, skip for a moment here because I don't want to take too long here tonight. I want to jump into this. In this seven principles that we talked about, I want to dwell on number four for a moment here. The children are a blessing from the Lord. Happy is the man who has a quiver full. I think it would have been great if the scripture defined how much is a quiver full, but it doesn't. But children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Children's children are the crown of old men. And I'd have to say amen to that. I love my grandchildren. And the glory of, the chil- uh, glory of children are their fathers. And I, I think it's just a wonderful thing uh, when uh, a man can see his children and grandchildren go on to serve the Lord. No matter where the will of God takes them, but to go on and serve the Lord, I think that's a wonderful reward. That's better than physical riches, that's for sure. Okay, so let's talk about these children then for a moment here tonight. And uh, I trust that you'll all find something of worth uh, in here. Now, there's a trend today in parenting. And I purposely, uh, I I don't know if you get those uh, advertisements where you get 
magazines for miles or magazines for points. Or whenever you're awarded points, people like to have you use your points for things. And I have, I have airline points. And uh, I haven't accumulated many lately. But I have airline points, and so they're always trying to say, use your points for this or use your points for that, and I never do. But uh, one of them that they tried to uh, sell me is uh, get magazines for points. And so I was looking at that. It was just an email that was sent to me, and I, I wasn't interested in any of those things there. And then there was, there was one there that caught my eye. It was called Parenting, Modern Parenting. And I thought, huh. Ah, that's interesting because it was had a mother and some little kids on there. And uh, so I thought, wow, just to try to keep up with the trend uh, and try to keep pace with things, I thought, well, I'll go ahead and subscribe to that. I've since canceled it. <laughs> I just let you know, okay. And I will let you know also I'm not preaching from that magazine either. Because I, you know, I, I don't think that you need to put out a magazine to see how you can balance two women trying to raise a family and things like that. But the modern trends in parenting are, are, are I mean, they're kind of like foreign. It was like reading a foreign language almost, too, in, in comparison to Scripture, all right? In comparison to standards that we know and appreciate, it was, it was kind of like reading a foreign language. And it was, it was disturbing at best because, you know, uh, if that's indicative of the trend, then the trend is certainly moving away from a biblical application of principles that are found helpful to raise children. Now, I, I just want to say this, that, that no, ch- no children, no real parent wants to have their, or see their child suffer, uh, especially needlessly. I mean, we wouldn't be real parents if, if we could somehow witness that. It, 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 it is important, though, for us to make sure that uh, we don't buy into all the ideas that are out there uh, in relation to parenting, because there are different ideas. And what I said about children suffering, you'll see in a moment here. Because nowadays, it, it's unloving, uh, it's considered unloving, and this is a statement that I read, it's considered unloving to punish a child's bad behavior. It's actually considered unloving if you punish a child's bad behavior. It's unacceptable to offend children, make them feel bad for the things that they've done. And that is a principle called positive parenting. That's the name that they have for it now. It's also called gentle parenting, which means that there's never to be a negative word spoken or judgment on actions for fear of causing irreparable psychological harm. We should only recognize and reward good things that children do. That is the truth. I mean, that's what's stated now. That there should never be a negative word or any kind of a judgment about actions of a child for fear of irreparable harm, but rather we should only recognize and reward good things that children do. I believe that it's a great thing to recognize and reward good things that children do. I, when, when children do things that are right and they do things of their own accord, uh, they do things that are, uh, you know, the result of reinforcement for your training a child, I think that's great. When they complete a grade or they complete high school or whatever else, I believe that it's good to reward. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, right? 
And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with reward. But you can't take half of the truth. You can't take uh, the part that says we're only going to reward good things and we're not going to deal with negative things that this child may do, especially when this child lights things on fire in the house. Or like one little girl I know who uh, her grandmother went to stay with her grandmother one time and the little girl got in the grandmother's purse and she, uh, she, the, the grandmother heard the toilet flushing over and over and over again. And here she was taking $100 bills and flushing them down the toilet. We can't just reward the positive and ignore everything else because the Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction shall drive him from it. So what's the problem with foolishness? Here it is. Proverbs 24.9 says the thought of foolishness is sin. So if foolishness carries on, it becomes sin in that person's life. So therefore, God's given responsibility to parents to deal with this foolishness that's actually bound in the heart of a child. Do you believe that? So therefore, we are called to protect our children from the ruin of an undisciplined life. We are called to protect our children from the ruin of undisciplined life. Just like Genesis 2.15, when God put Adam in the garden there, he said, here's your garden, and we want you to uh, protect it, we want you to labor over it, and we want you to protect it. I believe that we are called to protect our children from the ruin of an undisciplined life. I really like that. And to ignore... Direct disobedience can really make a child vulnerable to a whole lot of other things. And that's why, as a result, we have a lot of kids today uh, that exist in our world who are self-centered, irresponsible, and feel entitled to certain things instead of earning certain things. I've told you before about, my, uh, about one of the boys who went to work at Kroger's, and uh, they, uh, they were out, you know, looking after the iron donkeys out in the parking lot, and and uh, because that's the first job anybody in a grocery store ever gets, right? Everyone know what iron donkeys are. And, you know, he's out there in the cold and bringing things in. And I, I ran into the manager. I knew the manager. So I ran into him in the store one day. And he said, hey, you got your, you, you got, your son got any brothers? And I said, yeah, he's got three. He said, can you send them along? Because he said, if they're half as good as him, he said, I would like to hire them and give them a job to work at the grocery store. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, he said, he's responsible. He has no tattoos. He's clean cut. He says, yes, sir, no, sir, and thank you. And uh, he's respectful to customers and everything else. And he said, and he shows up. He shows up on time. If he's supposed to work at 9, he's there at 9. And he said, we have people who come. We'll hire them. And they'll come one day, the first day of work. They'll probably show up at 11. They're supposed to be there at 9. They'll show up at 11. They'll work for a couple of hours. And then they say they've got to go. And the next day, they won't show up at all. And the third day, we might get a phone call from them say they're not coming back. And he said, that's the way it is with uh, a lot of the young people that we hire. Now, that's not for every young person, right? That's not for every young person. But we find that there's a lot of young people. Ask people who work like Brother David and different ones who work in retail and try to hire somebody. Some of you brothers that are here that are employers to try to find good young people today that are not self-centered and don't feel a sense of entitlement. And they're responsible. They're able to pick up a job and carry it through and see it through to completion. That's, a, that's becoming a rare thing. What a sad thing in America that that's become a rare thing. I remember one of my boys, I, I, I drove him. He was too young to drive, drive himself 
to mow lawns. So I would get in my truck and hook up the wagon and, and, and drive him so he could mow lawns. He'd make a couple of bucks and call me. I'd give him my cell phone and he'd call me and he'd say, hey, done at this one. And I'd go pick him up, bring him to another one. And too young to drive, but interested in uh, you know, making some income on his own and responsible enough to go find work and go find customers. And uh, I, I'll tell you what, I, I think that's a wonderful trait that a young, young man should have. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. You didn't put it there. And a child doesn't know how to get it out. But God's got a remedy. And if foolishness is not dealt with, it becomes sin. And that's why we've got to act on it in that first section of life, like David said, we nurture an olive tree. Does that make sense? All right. So let's say it this way. The first of the four things that I wanted to talk about. Number one, obedience is not optional. It's not optional for me. It's not optional for an adult, right? I mean, if there's a speed limit or if there's a tax requirement, right? Uh, you know, I mean, if, if you have a mortgage, uh, it's not optional for you to say, well, I don't feel like working and I don't, or, I, you know, I, I borrow money for a car and I don't feel like paying it back. Hey, it's not optional, buddy. If you sign for it, you've got an obligation. So you've got to obey the laws of the contract that you entered into. And obedience for me is not optional at all. I can't take God's requirements in the Scripture and just, you know, say, well, I like that and I don't like that and I like that. I really like that one, but I don't like those at all. It's not optional. And the sooner we teach that to our kids, the better off we are. Well, let's look at what all things means, all right? So children, listen up. I'm going to tell you what obeying your parents in all things means. If you're, if you're wondering, sitting there wondering what that actually means, here you go. It means each, every, any, the whole, everyone, all things, and everything. So children obey your parents in each, every, any, the whole, everyone, all things, and in everything, and that's what's pleasing to the Lord. Is anybody unclear about what that might mean? It doesn't say, the scripture doesn't say, Compliant children who really naturally go along with what their parents want anyway, obey your parents and the Lord. It doesn't say that. Neither does it say children who are saved, obey your parents. It says children, obey your parents. Salvation, good nature, good personality, that's not a prerequisite for obedience. If you have a child who is... Uh, a wrestler, if you have a child who's strong-willed, if you have a child that doesn't want to listen, that just means you've got to exercise more patience and more diligence in helping that child obey and know where the boundaries are. Because boundaries is something that's very important to God. So we have to teach them those things. So in other words, uh, <laughs> you know, when you tell your child and say, well, hey, um, after, after Johnny pushes Jimmy off the chair, and we know that because Jimmy has a lump the size of an egg on the side of his head, and he could only have gotten it from one place, and we know that Johnny did it. And Mom says, well, Johnny, uh, you need to tell your brother you're sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, tell him like you mean, I'm sorry. No, Johnny, that's not going to work. Johnny, he, he's going to be smart enough to try to 
to try to uh, try to make sure that he doesn't get caught the second time. But he also wants to send a message to his brother that you got me in trouble, and just wait till this is over. I'll give you a matching knot on the other side of the head. Let me tell you something. You've probably all seen it before. Where, where you know, you, maybe a, a mother says to her son, Johnny, and we'll pick on Johnny tonight because we have no Johnnies here. Johnny, clean up your room. And Johnny looks at that as just a statement. Johnny, clean up your room. Even though the voice gets a little stronger, it's still a suggestion. There's nothing really serious to worry about. Johnny, you need to clean up your room because it's almost bedtime. And Johnny looks at that, and, you know, he's just, he just carries right on doing what he's doing. This goes on five or six or seven times. And then finally it's, Johnny, clean up your room. And Johnny still knows, because he's heard this so many times before, he still knows that this is not really a problem yet, and I can still do what I'm doing. But when she says, John, Jonathan Miller Brown, you better clean up that room. Well, now he's triggered because mom used the middle name. That's why God gave middle names, right? That's the only reason you have. Why would you need to have a middle name? Does anybody have a good reason why you'd want to have a middle name? I mean, you've got one good one. You've got a first one and a last one. You don't need to have another one. I don't have one. I never have had a middle name. It got messed up in my confirmation, and, and I don't have one. I, I'm not, every day I don't get up and say, God, please send the middle name. For, I don't have one. It's just berry coffee. That's all you get. But that's all I need. I found a function in life really good all my years without it. But when your mother uses your middle name, then that all of a sudden the antennas go up and the kid realizes, all right, we're getting close here. But when she comes in and says, that's it. I'm going to get your father now. And that's it. I've told you enough time. I'm going to get your father. And off she goes to get father. Very often, the boy will start to clean up the room, or the girl will start to clean up the room. Why? It's not because of the anger. The anger is not the thing that motivates the child to behave. It's the action. It's not anger that motivates a child to act. It's action. And so when she's, when she's determined to do something about this situation, then that child is motivated to act. Then they're going to spring into, into doing something in response. And I will tell you something. That with God, he doesn't threaten over and over and over and over again. But he has an action every time when it comes to a consequence. Now, Brother Branham said Corinthians is a book of correction. And we should take the book of Corinthians. In other words, we should learn from it. It's only a church. It's the only church in all the New Testament that seemingly leaders had uh, trouble. The Corinthians was always in trouble. And Paul, when he came among them, one had a tongue, one had a psalm, one had a feeling. One had a sensation. One was living with his mother, his, uh, his stepmother, I believe it was. And he was, they had troubles with the offering. They had troubles with the gifts. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of things that were an issue in the Corinthian church. And he was always having trouble with the Corinthians, keeping them straight. And if we notice, he couldn't teach the Corinthians deep things because they were baby-fashioned. It's an interesting phrase. He couldn't get them into the great deep messages that he did to the Ephesians and the Romans because they wasn't able to take it. So Brother Bram's describing a church who, in their immaturity, failed to respond. They failed to act on what they were taught, right? 
And as a result, they could not go on to maturity. They could not go on to deeper and better things. They depended too much on the sensations and little things like that. Well, praise the Lord, I had a revelation come to me, and I had a psalm, and I had a prophecy. They, depend, they learned to depend on that. And Paul said all, things, all those things will fail, every one of them. They're just not to be trusted too much. But what he's trying to get to the church was that anchor when we have an anchor in Christ. Take that and apply it to your family. Because what you want your children to do is act in obedience on the things that uh, the person in authority say. And you want to do that because we want to go on to further things. We want to go on to do other things, right? And so that's the idea. We find here that Brother Branham uh, in Come, Follow Me in 1965, and he's talking to young people here. He says, and the father and mother are constantly praying that their son would not turn out just to be an ordinary man, that he would be an extraordinary man. All parents want that. I wanted that for my boy. Still do. I want that for my grandchildren. Still do. And I know you want that for your, uh, for your sons and daughters. And I'll tell you what. It's not just that they would be extraordinary in terms of their ability to earn income or extraordinary in terms of their academic accomplishments or something else. That has nothing to do with it. You want to have extraordinary children raised in your household today because we live in extraordinary times. We live in exceptional times. And they're going to need to have an exceptional strength and an exceptional hold on the anchor in order to survive the winds that are blowing across our time. They're going to need to have a a, a real confident relationship with Christ in order to be able to hang on and to be able to hold their families as they're passing through these waters. And that's the ambition of every parent, to do the best for their children that they can. Educate them, give them things maybe they wasn't able to get. And he said, that's the way I feel about my children. He said, you make yourself when you're young, and you set your ambitions to what you want to do and what you're trying to achieve in life. And you think of it. And as you think of, of course, your mind, it's presented to your mind by an unknown something that dominates your mind. And then when it comes to your mind, you speak it, and so forth, your ambitions drive you to it. So in other words, if we're going to have exceptional uh, young men who are able to have their own family, we've got to do some training for exceptional young men and women in their early days. Isn't that right? Because they don't become exceptional young men and women when they walk down the aisle. They don't become exceptional young women when they find some boy of their dreams and all of a sudden they become mature. That's not how it happens. And so therefore, there's got to be preparations made prior to the time when they begin to launch out on their own in order to become and remain exceptional. Discipline does not always feel positive. Discipline isn't always meant to feel positive. It's not always a joyous thing. The nature of consequences is that they're unpleasant because they're consequences, right? It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing because the word seemeth, it means here, please me. Now, no chastening for the present, please me. No chastening for the present, I determined, was joyous. That's what the meaning of the word is. But grievous, nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. It's very much like God's dealing with Israel. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul says, no discipline, and this is the New Living Translation here, and I just threw it in for your own, uh, for your own clarification here on the verse. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living 
for those who are trained in this way. What we're looking for is a harvest of right living. What we're looking for is a harvest of young people who are mindful of of the Scripture. They're mindful of God's way. If they're only living God's way, if they're only doing what's right, because they hear it, you know, the pastor will get on to them or their parents get on to them. We've only, we've only brought them so far. What we want to do is bring them all the, all the way, create the atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit can deal with their heart so that it comes from within them because they've heard the right thing and God's dealt with their heart and God's quickened something in their heart that makes them, makes them uh, attentive and sensitive to the Scripture. So that when we're not around, they'll gravitate towards the right thing. It's easy to uh, sing right and act right in a meeting. Everybody's shouting and everybody's enjoying themselves and everybody's saying amen. Everybody's agreeing with the word. It's easy in that atmosphere to be agreeable with that. But that's not where the test comes. The test comes when you're on your own or with your, with, when you're with other people that are not believers. And all of a sudden now there's a contrary idea that's put out there. But when something from within says, no, I'm not going to do it, even if it means I have to stand alone, let me tell you, that's the victory for any parent. That's the victory for any parent. So let's look for a moment. Uh, I'll paraphrase this so we'll, we'll move through it quickly in Scripture. Numbers chapter 14, this is when Joshua and Caleb and the twelve go over the border, come back with the grapes, the evidence of the promised land, right? And the congregation lifted up their voice and they cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would to God we had died in Egypt, or would to God we had died in the wilderness. Now I want you to apply this now in terms of families for a moment. This is how God deals with his children. And this is a principle of how God deals with us. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Why did they become so desperate before God? Because, sorry, we'll get it right. Moses said to them, only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defenses departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear not. So the problem was, is this spirit of rebellion that had risen up among these children of Israel here. And they figured, okay, uh, you know, why, why did you bring us in confrontation with these giants here? Isn't the way of God supposed to be easy? Aren't I supposed to have an easy path into the promised land? After all, this was promised to Abraham. Why can't I just have an easy path in there? But all of a sudden there are giants here. And in their hearts, they're turning away from God, and they're, they're turning this heart into a rebellious heart. They're affected by a rebellious spirit. And so that's why Moses and Aaron, they fall on their faces before God. And in 10, all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of God appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Let me tell you, the, the cloud appeared not to bless the children of Israel, but it was going to deal with this spirit of rebellion. So God was not there in verse 11 to bless. God was, in verse 10, God was there to judge this thing and to weed this thing out of the family. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown them. And I will smite them. And so God, uh, God came on the scene to punish them. Now, let me stop and say this. The real root purpose of discipline is to restore a right relationship back again. 
At the end of the day, the reason God disciplines us, when we stray and God disciplines us, it is to bring us back into a right relationship with him again. Isn't that right? And when, when your children rebel, when they do something that's contrary to the family rules and we discipline them, it's to bring them back into the fold again, right? Whether it happens between siblings, whether it happens between parents and child, no matter what, the idea is that we're going to, uh, we're going to remind them that this behavior is unacceptable. We're going to put in place something different here so that the relationship can be restored. All the discipline that you experience in your Christian life is all intended to do one thing, and it is to bring you back in the right harmony and in the right place with God again. And so God, God says this to Moses here, Stand out of the way, Moses, I'm going to destroy him. And Moses throws himself in the breach here. This is one of the two places in Scripture where he throws himself in the breach because God is demonstrating the Spirit of Christ that's going to eventually come. Because God had every right to destroy us, Right? And to bring judgment against us, but Jesus stood in the, in the gap and paid the price for us, right? And so God, God was not going to judge the people permanently. He was rather bringing out the Spirit of Christ that would come later on Calvary. And Moses told those things unto the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up to the top of the mountain and said, Lo, we be here. So God passed the judgment here of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. That's where he said, you're going to wander now for 40 years. And the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up to the top of the mountain saying, Lo, we be here, and we will go into the place now where the Lord promised, for we have sinned. In other words, we're, we're going to be obedient now because there's a punishment that we don't like. Hey, we're converted. We got the message. And God says, no, you're still going to wander. And he asked the question, Moses says, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? It shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you. One of the worst things that could be said about us is that the Lord is not among us. One of the worst things that can be said about you is that you move yourself to a place where God is not with you anymore. That's a terrible place to be. And so God said to the children of Israel, No, he said, There is a... Uh, there's a, a problem to be dealt with in the assembly. So God makes them wander for 40 years. And then they all of a sudden they realize, wow, I don't really, God really does mean what he says, doesn't he? Okay, tell you what, Lord, we're going to be good from now on. We're going to go wherever you tell us and we'll go in the promised land. And off they go. God says, hey, don't bother. Don't bother. Because God wants you to obey because obedience is never optional. Obedience is not optional. So we should teach our kids that they will reap what they sow, and they learn that from an early age, and God's word means what it says, and there's always a consequence for disobedience to God's word. Are we okay? Now, discipline really is a form of love. Now, some of you kids are probably sitting there and saying, I thought... I thought before tonight's service that we had a pastor who loved us. But it sure seems like he's on the other team. Let me say this. God has delegated oversight for each one of us into the hands of authorities that have a scriptural right to lead. We're all under leadership. Isn't that right? The leadership buck doesn't stop here. The leadership buck 
to me, I'm glad I'm not in the, in the, the last position here, but I believe the Holy Spirit's in the last position. He's the one who leads. He leads through men. He leads with men. But I will tell you that he is the one who is the chief authority. That's why the word matters. But in terms of children, I believe that the oversight of children's welfare and development has been given to parents, and they've been put in a position of authority according to the Scripture. And so, therefore, they have a scriptural right to establish boundaries and to enforce those boundaries within their own household. And I believe today that children need a clear message as to who's in control. I believe that children need a clear message today as to who's in control. And they should not be the ones who are calling the shots. Because when the order is reversed, we have nothing but insecurity. We had the, the wrong product that's produced when children are in control. And I believe that one of the most loving things you can do for your kids is give them a strong sense of security and purpose in daily life inside the appropriate boundaries. To give them a sense of purpose and a sense of security in daily life inside appropriate boundaries. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Because he wants them to remain within the boundaries, because he wants them to remain in a place where God can bless them. You look at the next verse here, and many times these verses in Proverbs run together. The righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want. The righteous tend to prosper simply because they're doing things that God says, because God said it. I mean, when when a young person learns to pay their tithing and they're faithful with their finances and so forth, very often there can come like, it's almost like a natural prosperity or natural blessing because they're doing it just because it's God's word. They're not doing it just because mom and dad says so. They're not doing it just because, you know, Brother Barry says so. They're doing it because they see it in God's word and they realize, hey, there's a reason for that and there's a purpose in that. And the reason is, is that God can open up a channel of blessing and pour things out upon me just because I'm obedient to that scripture. That's a great thing to teach to your children. But the opposite is also true, that the belly of the wicked shall want. So there is no, uh, nothing laid up in store uh, for, the, for the wicked. There is no resource for the wicked. There's no place for the wicked to return. There's no supernatural response from God for the wicked because they've turned away from God. So nations that turn away from God, they don't have the supernatural responses that uh, we have in our history, in our country here, because we were a God-fearing nation. At one point, we were a God, truly a God-fearing nation. Isn't that right? And we saw supernatural things happen. You know, George Washington with the bullets going through his coat and all the other stories that we could tell, even though they're trying to change history and change it very quickly. Even Christian homeschoolers, let me warn you, are changing history. I'm married to a history teacher. I can tell you for a fact that they're changing history all over the place. But I will tell you something, that in our history, we as a nation which stood for God and godly principles, God interceded on our behalf. God did miraculous things. God did supernatural things on behalf of this nation and brought it to where it became, uh, you know, in strength and in power uh, in, in, among the nations of the world. But when you turn away from that, when you turn away from that, it says the belly of the wicked shall want. There'll be a lack. There'll be a, 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 a you know, no resources that uh, we have at our disposal. There'll be nothing left in the bank, in other words. So discipline is not God's way of making your life miserable, no matter what age you are. Discipline is meant 
to allow a person to live within the boundaries of God's Word and obey it just because it is God's Word, because God wants you never to want. God wants you never to lack. And so discipline is truly a form of love. It's actually because we love our children that we discipline them. And the last thing I'd say is that, and this is an important thing, but we only have a few minutes here, that discipline and instruction go together. That the point is not just to discipline and make our children reminded of what they've done that's incorrect. And that is important. And we're obviously trying to restore the relationship and restore them back again. But it's also important that we teach them the right way. Because we cannot just, you know, discipline, 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 and add nothing in there. There has to be the the instruction in righteousness. There has to be instruction in the right things to know uh, what God requires so that they can grow into that themselves, Right? Like David said, come ye, come ye children, hearken unto me, and I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Let me impart to you what I learned so that God could bless me and put me where he's got me today. I know some things. I have some keys. I have some, uh, some uh, you know, uh, uh, knowledge here as to what God likes and what God doesn't like. So sit still and let me teach you some of these things that are referred to as the fear of the Lord so that God can bless you like he's blessed me. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from uh, evil and, and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. All of this advice is good advice. All of this is stuff that uh, we, can, we can learn. You say that's Old Testament. Paul writes in, the, in relation to the communion. He said if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So there is conduct that's going to be condemned. The opposite of that conduct is what you want to learn and practice so that you're not condemned but blessed. Doesn't that make sense for us to teach our children to engage in conduct that will provoke a blessing from God rather than condemnation? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? And if it's necessary, you can use words. The best way your children are going to learn is by watching you fulfill the mandate that's given to parents and, and you walking in obedience to the things that God requires of you. Because what God requires of a parent is different than what God requires of a child. What God requires of an elder is, what, is different than what God requires of a, uh, of a young person. And so we, within the boundaries of the, of the scriptures that apply in our lives, we, we want to walk in obedience because obedience is not optional. So everybody say amen. Obedience is not optional. If there's one way to be saved, you can't choose another way. If, if there's a, you know, a path to salvation, as nice as it sounds that everybody has their own idea, hey, there is one way that's determined by God, and you don't have the option of changing that. The kind of person we should marry, the kind of things that we should do with our time and our money, and the kind of attitudes that we should have one towards another, especially husband towards wife and wife towards a husband, those, those uh, attitudes matter, don't they? Those attitudes matter. And we can't just throw back, that back to God and say, well, you know what, this is the way I am, this is the nature that I am. And so, uh, hey, listen, there, there are times when the only thing left for you to do is to throw yourself into it and say, God, I am what I am, except you change me. I stand here at the mercy of God. I need your help. Paul writes, when it comes to the application of the Scripture 
in our daily life. He said, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Children have a higher power, right? Adults have a higher power. Pastors have a higher power. We all have a higher power. And so we had to be subject to the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. And whether they translate into a state trooper, or whether they translate into the IRS, or whether they translate into your pastor, or whatever else, everyone has to be subject to the higher powers. The last verse, for this cause pay tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. And, I mean, this is, this is Paul's application of the scripture that helps us to put in place the things that, uh, that, that we need to practice so our children can grow up and practice them as well. Let me finish and say this. Do you believe that children have, of God have testings and trials? Every son that comes to God must first be tried and chastened. Every son. Chastised. Did you ever hear any of a child training, bringing him up, uh, giving a little protoplasm stimulation once in a while with gospel correction? My daddy was awfully good at that. He believed in the golden rule. It laid over the door. had all Ten Commandments on it, a hickory stick about that long, and I tell you that made discipline in the Branham home. Remember now, he's talking about almost 100 years ago. He's talking about 100 years ago. But the people who are, grew up in that generation, I see some of you shaking your heads, some of your old folks shaking your heads, the people that grew up in that generation didn't feel some sense of entitlement that I don't have to work and I don't have to listen to what the government says. And I don't have, I just need to have enough money to refill my Starbucks card and, and I'll be okay. But we love him. His father he's talking about. We love him. And what would we have been if he hadn't have did it? In other words, applied basic discipline. That's the way God is. He brings discipline to his children, trying them, whipping them when they're wrong. I don't believe in whipping anybody. I don't believe in whipping anybody. Is that all right? I don't believe in using a whip on anybody. You understand the term that he's using here, right? <clears throat> he says, I'm happy that my heavenly father gives whippings to those who are wrong and corrects me when I'm wrong, gives me whippings, makes me straighten up and walk like you should walk. Think of the last statement now that he's making here. Whenever you've received any kind of correction or discipline from God, from the Holy Spirit, and you might be sitting in church and you get, uh, you know, something is preached on maybe that you thought you were going to do and it was okay, and then you get, you know, the, the minister brings it up or your parents or whatever else. The Holy Spirit has a way of making correction in our lives. But at the end of the day, when the Holy Spirit does it, we don't hate him for it. A real believer, when they're corrected by the Holy Spirit, they love him all the more. And at the end, of, when it's all done, when it's all said and done, they usually have an attitude, thank you, Lord, for making things right. Thank you for bringing that up in my life. Thank you, Lord, for showing me where I was wrong. Because without that correction, my goodness, my path would be very different. And my heart wanted to go one way, my mind wanted to go one way, and my feet wanted to go the same way, and I, you know, everything about me wanted to go that way. But, Lord, you, you've interceded and you've let me know that that's not the right way. And I, I don't know, whenever the Lord has corrected me, and he has many times, through various means, the Lord has corrected me. 
I've always been thankful for that because in my heart, that's not the way that I want to be. I don't want to be wrong. And I want to make sure, number one, that the relationship with him is intact. That's okay. And if it's someone in my family or someone, you know, in the church or something else, and I've offended them and said something that's incorrect, I want to go make that right because we want to have that relationship restored. The Holy Spirit is all about making sure that you and him are on good terms because he wants to get you there even more than you want to get there. And as parents, you ought to have the desire to get your kids to heaven more than anything else. Let's stand to our feet. And when I'm done, my, my ceiling becomes someone else's floor. My, my high point becomes a stepping off point for someone else. So they can take the principles that they've seen and learned and they can launch and minister to their own family, minister to their own children. Hey, that's, that's, what, that's what I want to have. I want, I want my life to be a platform that somebody else can step off of. I want your lives to be able to be launched from a position of being higher when I leave this earth than when you came to this church first. Let me say that again. Where you were when you first came to this church ought to be the lowest point. And when, you, when I leave this church, that should be a high point for you so that you can go on and carry on and raise your families, live for the Lord move on to higher heights, be changed in a moment. Jesus, draw me close. Let's sing that tonight here. Jesus, draw me close.
more time. Sounds so nice. Yes, the more that I surrender. why I believe you've given us an exceptional insight into the scripture, Lord, to know what's required of us and what's best applied. And Lord, there there are lots of theories. There always have been and there always will be. Just like there was lots of theories of how to survive in the days of Noah, but there was only one that came from God. And Lord, we want to be obedient to that. So it's not in not in trying to do something with our own intellect or trying to do something that somehow is different. We just want to open ourselves to your word, Lord, because obedience is better than sacrifice and obedience makes a difference. I pray, Lord, you bless the families that are gathered here today and we thank you for all those that have come. Lord, I pray for moms and dads that they would have the wisdom and the insight to know their children, to learn their children, to know what's the very best of whatever stage of life they're at. And Lord, may they continue to be an influence all the days of their life, the lives of their children. Father, we just depend upon you and we love you, Lord, because you've given us unique instruction and we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, for grandmothers and grandfathers that are here and Lord, in a position to influence their children and grandchildren in different ways and I just pray also you'd give them wisdom and put words in our mouths that we can say the right things to our families Lord we know you're the God of all the families of the earth and you care about us and we thank you Lord for your love and your patience forgive us for the things we've done wrong and Lord help us I pray to learn the better way 
We need you and we thank you for this gathering tonight. We need you, Lord, for the days ahead. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. It's not in trying, but in trusting. It's not in running, but in resting. And it's not in wandering, but in praying that we find. We find the strength of the Lord. We've been made more than conquerors. God bless you tonight. We'll see you all in the weekend. And uh, for those of you that have been contemplating baptism, this weekend is a good weekend because we're going to baptize at least two folks. And uh, if anybody's considering that, uh, it's no better time, no better day. Glad to have all of our visitors here today. Say hello to Gabriel for us. We miss him today. Sister Tori, it's an honor to have you with us. She came to Israel on the last trip with us, and we're just honored to have you uh, with us. And granddaughter, Abigail. God bless you, Abigail. Good to see you again. And each and every one, we trust that the Lord will bless you and bless the balance of your week. And uh, sing this as you go this, this evening here. We've been made more than conquerors. We've been made more than conquerors. Overcomers in this life. We've been made victorious. been made